Billy O'Brien here with the disc. O'Brien immediately shoots deep. Polk in the area. And he's able to come down with it. Welcome back, Jakeem Polk. Hey, Jock, getting one deep. Welcome back. It's Swing Pass Week 2 recap episode coming at you. I'm Adam Ruffner. That's Daniel Cohen. Let's get right into it. There was a slew of games from the second weekend of action this season. We're going to highlight some of our favorite moments from Week 2. We'll start off in the South Division Friday night matchup between Atlanta and Carolina. The home team hustle persevering and putting down the Flyers 24 to 19 in a big statement win, snapping a four game losing streak against their rivals from Carolina. It was another big, big game for the big man on the hustle. Brett Halsmeyer finishes with nearly 600 yards of offense, splitting time equally between offense and defense finishes with the slash line of four assists, two goals, one block, 23 of 24 on throws he played 31 points in this game and was just a madman whenever they needed to play in the big field he seemed to be able to make it for the second straight week again he had a six blocks performance last week in his season debut at home he's just running away with it and then kind of the the statement performance was from a rookie for the hustle a multi-time new zealand countryman Open player of the year, Liam Haberfield, going off in his second game as a pro, finishing with over 500 yards, 26 to 28 from the field on throws. And those two throwaways, one was on a buzzer beater attempt, one was on a drop. So he was almost perfect. He had eight scores on the day and just showed off that huge flick huck that we have been hearing about (laughs) since training camp in the preseason. Daniel, what was your reaction to this hustle kind of overcoming the hump getting the monkey off your back, however you want to say it, reasserting themselves for the first time since the beginning of the 2021 season against the Flyers. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it was it was about what we expected, given all the absences on Carolina's roster and given the momentum of Atlanta from that week one game. I love that, like, the hype of Liam Haberfield's flick we didn't get to see it quite on display in week one, but it like gave us time to kind of like think about it and it planted the seeds in our mind to like be on watch. And then it was that one hook that he just unloaded perfectly on a dime. He is very fun to watch. You slacked me earlier this weekend. Like, is he the best player on the hustle right now? He definitely had the best offensive game, like all right. respect to Brett Holzmeyer, but Haberfield, I mean, I, I just think the the dimension he brings as both like a, a grinder of a cutter and then that like singular throwing talent where he can do it from a standstill, he can do it in rhythm. I I like him a lot for that Atlanta ceiling. I mean, I will say Brett Holzmeyer and Dean Ramsey, those guys were one and two in total points played for the team this past Friday. So like, I love what they're doing with loading the big guys on both sides of the disc, really using mismatches and exploiting those to their advantage. Um, so I, I just think that Atlanta's looking super well coached and they're putting all their guys in positions to succeed. Yeah, I, I think it was more of a hypothetical wondering after that huge Haberfield performance. Sure, if sure. You had a skill set near the top end. I mean, you got to give your hats off to all of the the hustle veterans. I mean, Christian Olsen is playing fantastic. Austin, Draco Taylor, Everyone's playing great is the thing. Flawless in the first two games. Matt Smith playing out of his mind. 
that one cut flyers defender into the spin cycle had him staring out the back of the end zone at the parking lot (laughs) for a couple seconds right doing the where's waldo celebration like it's just one of those things where you're right It, it really when you start trying to talk about all of the great performances it kind of circles you back to this is the job of good coaching, right? All of these players are playing at their optimal performances. The defense is just mm-hmm. going after it on every point. They're getting all of these good performances from sort of, I don't even want to call them role players, but sort of the non-statistical production players. I mean, some of these former yeah. players that they've picked up, Bradley Sunchin oh. has been playing fantastic in the Atlanta. Billy season. O'Brien Billy leading O'Brien the counterattack at times? Like... That's a very fun role for him where he just like un- unloaded a couple hucks against Carolina. And it was like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, I love him in this spot. It's hard because, you know, we've only seen these guys play with Tampa in the past, but you throw them into a system where it's like very, I don't know, it's very like, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, but like specialized in a way with like different guys' roles in the exact right spot. Um, so, yeah, it just feels like everything's coming together for Atlanta in a big way. I mean, Billy O'Brien was like the opposite of specialized for Tampa Bay the last few years. He was (laughs) always splitting his time, just going out there playing like 30 points a night, filling in everywhere they need to. He was always such a gamer. He's got that dog in him, right? But it was hard watching him at times because he just had to do so much. And you're right. Now that he gets to kind of refine his skills, just focus a little bit more, you see him just becoming this, this... spark plug for the Atlanta fast break attack on the counter. And it's not like they needed more of those, right? Like JP Burns is really good in that role was an Mm all-star last season in that role. They add back Jakeem Polk who's healthy and can just get that breakaway speed on a runway going away from people. Once Atlanta gets the turn, I mean, you're right. But as much as I like the defense, the difference to me so far this season for Atlanta has been the offense. They lead the league in offensive efficiency through the first two weeks. They're almost at 69%. Nice as an offensive efficiency rate. Again, Austin Taylor and Christian Olsen are are nearly flawless with the disc. Bobby Lay just continues to find Bobby Lay is playing right great. places to fit his creative throws he loves doing that big arcing mm-hmm. OI forehand and Matt Smith and others know where to cut for him now with a little bit more seasoning after getting him at the midseason point last year. Excuse me. They had him the full season. He just didn't play in as many games. He played. Yeah, he played, he played like not the full, full slate, but he's he I think he's just gotten like a little bit more selective with the shots he's taken. Like it felt like at times last year he was maybe trying to do too much and there's maybe a little bit less structure at times in the Atlanta offense. But yeah, I mean, the role that he is in right now, he's not really forcing anything deep. Them as a team, they're not like relying on this huck forward identity that they've kind of been trending towards the past two years. They're just like playing smart, very good, efficient offense. There was a pivotal moment in this game. Again, the Flyers, for all their inconsistencies, for not looking like themselves, so to speak. I think that's the best way to put it with Carolina. They're, they're yeah. still clearly talented. Jacob Fairfax is sure. going out there and dunking on anyone beneath him. I mean, <laughs> he had a huge got game. him once earlier in the game, got him near the beginning yeah. of the game. Fairfax was just racking up yards by the end of the game. I think he finished with near 700 yards of total offense, a career high. He was just... He was everywhere downfield for them. There's, but I digress. There's, there's so much talent with this Carolina team, but they're not quite putting it together. There was that 
point in the second half where they had a chance to tie it. Fairfax was on a breakaway streaking for the end zone, and there was just a, a, a difficult throw attempt. I'll leave it at that. It, it was it was not a look you would like to see in that moment. And and to your point just a second ago about how Atlanta has kind of reconfigured a little bit away from the long ball. I still think they possess that potency, but yeah, the ensuing possession after that uh, Carolina turnover, Atlanta just marched it down the field and pushed their lead mm-hmm. back to two. And that was kind of it. After that, it sort of turned into the hustle sort of just doing highlight plays at home down the stretch. It, it kind of took the wind out of Carolina's sails in the comeback and hustle cruised to two and zero for the season. And it just, it felt like such an indication of how these teams have just switched in the early part of the season where that used to be Carolina. That used to be Carolina right. doing the like, ooh, the team's maybe going to rally against us, but nope, we're going to have the steadiest drive at the most clutch moment of the game and and clear mm-hmm. this one. This time it was Atlanta. I will say with Carolina, I mean, yeah, we've been, we've been hyping up Atlanta a lot and I don't want to like diminish Carolina so much because I was – very impressed by their ability to handle the hustle zone, even with this kind of like piece together makeshift O-line. Like they they got it to a point and they were just like really slicing through the zone with like big blades and like sharp, like low hammers over the top. They forced Atlanta to just kind of abandon the zone look late in the game. And I, I do want to give Carolina offense props because I'm sure they're all just kind of still like feeling things out, learning to play together. This is not a team we should expect to be playing at the ceiling that they've shown the past couple of seasons right now. So I do think they showed enough flashes where it's like, okay, this is still obviously going to be a competitive team, even against these super good teams, even when they don't have anything close to their top end roster. So it does, you know, still give me hope for Carolina later in the season for sure. Somebody asked me if I was worried about Carolina. No, no, no. As we talked about in the previous, well, I said episode, last time I'm worried about. I'm worried about them right now, but not for later in the season. I'm just worried about like this version of Carolina. I just don't want them to drop like too many games to yeah. to hurt their chances later. You know, I think but yes, long term, I agree. I think they get some padding in the South division. And honestly, it just, it feels like they're building up grievances and the flyers are a dangerous team when you back them into a corner as they showed during their stretch during 2021. And just to kind of wrap up this game, these teams meet three more times this season. So there will be plenty of tests to come. Uh, Let's move to the West division. The uh, debut of last season's uh, divisional champs from Colorado, the summit, Go on the road, claim two easy wins thanks to two impressive defensive performances. The Summit limit their opponents to 31 combined goals on the weekend, winning 23-16 to over San Diego and then 18-15 to over LA in the AUDL game of the week last night against the Aviators. It was the debut for the Pavel Giannis experience in LA, the new era, all of these new talents and signings. Got off to a great start, right? 3-0 aviators coming Very out excited. firing and <laughs> it just it it it, it cleared it, it was sort of like the kitty hawk flight you know like the first spectacle of aviation right like they kind of they cleared the runway and then it was a, a, a pretty short flight because after that i think yeah. i think after la went up 4-1 
there was like a eight to two run, a nine to two run for the summit somewhere in the middle part. Yeah, of that something game. like that. I mean, they tied it up just, like immediately, and yeah, they just it was... seized it. it. It was one of those things where aviators. I think we were talking about it before the show. They showed a lot of good little mechanisms. I liked the smaller pieces mm-hmm. that they're they're working with, but as a whole machine it's not there yet. And that's what you and I have been talking about for weeks, right? Like as much as we're hyped, as much as we like this stuff here with this new aviators lineup, it, it, it can't hold up right now against the mighty machine that is the summit. Like they're just, they're too talented, right. they're too well coached and they're too dang athletic. Um, I, I really liked uh, the, the sort of backbone that Giannis provided in this first game. I love the debuts of Jason Valley. Daniel Brunker had a great game for the 80s. He did. He had some yeah. really impressive pacer throws. Sean McDougal mm-hmm. showing up, of course, in his return to L.A. But it, it, it was all, again, it was all kind of piecemeal. There wasn't really anything sustained after that initial sort of energetic burst to start the game. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, watching that LA offense, basically, I mean, they didn't have Brandon Van Dusen. They didn't have Michael Keoy. This is not like the top Aviators O-line that we'll be seeing for hopefully most of the season. So they, I don't know if the Jason Valley on O-line thing is going to be a permanent thing or if it was just based on the personnel, but they basically went with approach of just having Pavel and Jason Valley play a two-man game in the backfield most of the way up the field. But the problem was... Cody Spicer is back there just like pestering everything. And I, I love watching the Pablo versus Spicer matchup because they're both like those type of small space, like fight for every inch type of players where all these like little handler cuts just, it was like so exhausting to watch, but also really cool to see Pablo try to get open consistently. I just think that wears on any offense. Like it's impossible to, have that game plan for the duration of an entire game and rely on that to be working all the time, as good as Pablo is. And as much chemistry as Pablo and Jason Valley had, it just, it was bound to to be a problem sooner or later with like the lack of, I guess, cohesiveness with the other five guys that were on the field at any given time. So I, I agree with you. I think the, the general pieces seem to be there. I think a lot of guys had good moments in that game but I'm definitely not seeing an overall picture to this offense yet. Granted, Brandon Van Dusen, team leader in total yards last year, like obviously he's going to have a pretty central role. So I do think they were missing him in particular. But man, that Colorado defense, it just looks so exhausting to play against. It's big. They like to run. All of the new additions look really good. Noah Kuhlman, who is new to the team, finished with the team high five flying blocks over the after field. the weekend. Jay Fruit had four blocks in LA. Cody Spicer got a couple of uh, reset lane shutdowns in the handler space. Saeed Semrin, the rookie, he looks good. He just adds he another good. size and speed person to their defense. I mean, some of them are going to run people. I I know we've talked about the Summit defense, and I still think that that is actually going to be a large point of their identity throughout this season. I wanted to flip to the other side of the disc, and I wanted to talk about <laughs> Jonathan Nutter. One guy. Because yeah. I feel like towards the end of last season, this Summit team had evolved well beyond their quote-unquote QB1. I felt like in the West Division Championship yeah. game, he had solid stats, he had a couple of nice throws, but... That was a team win. And and just you saw the summit at their peak last season when they get 
all of their pieces evolved, particularly on offense when Finer and Frude and, and all of those pieces are just churning together. Thomas Brewster had a good weekend. He's always been so solid for them. Matthew Agee was ripping around in a wide receiver role this weekend. He's so mm-hmm. much fun to just watch churn in open space. I mean, he's got to be top three to five fastest but dude in the open field. When he, I don't know that he has acceleration of some of the other people in this league, but when he hits that full stride, it's it's ridiculous. I don't know that he's hit yeah. his top speed on an AUDL field. He just kind of continues to get faster <laughs> as he runs further. Um, for all these other pieces, Lord Nut, Lord Nethercut, just just comes in and basically is like one man offense the entire weekend. It, it was weird wins in SoCal this weekend. I don't know if it's yeah. Santa at this time of year what it is. There was weird wins in San Diego and LA. It for led sure. to discontinuity for sure in the Summit offense, not the cleanest games, Lyle West division ball. But when you got that guy chucking the disc, it doesn't matter. He finished with 15 assists, 93 completions, and almost 1,100 throwing yards in two games. Like, it's just, those are video games. I know it's it, it, it's redundant, it's trite, it oversimplifies those are video <laughs> game numbers. You look at the highlights, they're video game highlights. He's just they are. In whatever distance. He's throwing these weird off-foot submarine forehands with a whole bunch of cheese on them. You know, like, just whatever. Whatever cooks up. Yeah, I like those because you can see you see his throwing strength even on like the 20 to 30 yard throws that he just like has to zip into a tight window or like that 40 yard hammer he had. Like he is just I mean, it's like the strongest wrist in the the league in the world, maybe. And you can see it on every single throw. And there's something about the way in which he gets open for it, too. You can see defenders start to panic a bit when he's getting into his like his spots so to speak behind the disc like that Mm -hmm. was so what was so disruptive i think sometimes about these throws you see people uncorking these long throws when they get into power position up line another is receiving dumps he's behind the disc he doesn't have momentum going into these throws he's getting just And and these are like impossible reset patterns to defend against as a handler. Like you want to prevent them from going upfield. You don't want another cut powered position, Lord help you. But like, it, it still just doesn't matter. Like he gets it completely out of position. There was one throw against San Diego where he gets it off balance. He's got a rock to his right and he still throws it through two defenders and 60 yards on a dime. Like it's just, it's made up stuff. Like, people don't do this. It's ridiculous. He also put up, like, such a similar stat line last, last year when year. he went to SoCal. Yeah. He he threw, like, 14 assists and had, like, I don't know, 1,400 throwing yards. I don't know what it is about these road trips. It's the, re- it's the revenge game of San Diego, for sure. Uh, I love a good revenge game narrative. But, yeah, then he just keeps, he keeps the momentum going throughout the weekend. I'm definitely for this like new spring tradition in Colorado of just the first two road games of just saying, Hey, <laughs> you've got it. Like it's just I yeah. feel like the rest of the the summit offense to kind of balance out as we move into the season. They were missing Alex Atkins with injury, but the the highly hyped. I was rookie. gonna say Jordan hasn't 
uh, come out. Quinn Finer was playing some defense this past weekend. Like they were, they were starting yeah. to run a little bit. No Land- Landis men on offense no Landis wasn't men. there too. Like Matt they Jackson. were definitely missing pieces, which led to yeah. And Jackson was playing defense. Like I, it seemed to be a system that was kind of going in with the mindset that like okay, Nethercut's just going to lead our offense this weekend, and and that works when they have this personnel. I wanted to also give a quick shout out to Sam Goldstein, who was in the backfield with another cut most of the weekend. He was really, really solid working off. He played kind of well. That release valve, and he's big. I like his size back there. He's he's a stable reset option, and when he steps out on those flicks, he's got a real nice base, and it just allows him, I think, to get low and get a lot of precise throws. He he was impressive all weekend. I liked him. Um, is he is he a rookie by the way, or was he on the team last no, year? No, he was on the he was on the team last year, and he had a good road trip weekend to open up. I think he was the one who actually threw the uh, layout goal to Matthew Ag to kick the Summit season off last year. Oh, nice! Sure that was Goldstein, and he had like a, a good layout player. grab before, or maybe it's Tatum. I might be confusing it. Goldstein had a good game, yeah, in his pro debut in 2022, but. He looks a little improved in 2023. and Yeah, it was cool to see Colorado, him involved. Colorado doesn't need more of that. <laughs> they <laughs> right. don't need more handlers. Uh, but we'll continue to move along in our recap. We'll move to the Central Division now. We're going to Indianapolis where the Alley Cats carved out an early lead at home. But the wind chill whittled away at it until the fourth quarter, getting some big second hand half blocks excuse me from dylan DeClerc, jordan taylor and a few others of the windchill defenders they eventually tie it in the second half and just start to edge past the alley cats coming away with a 23 to 21 win to start their season one and oh indy meanwhile drops to owen two after they lose to atlanta last weekend and then minnesota yesterday so indy starting off the season at the bottom of the central which is tough we thought they might be one of these teams right in the thick of the central division playoff race but again as this game even kind of shows you this is going to be just a dogfight between basically five teams in the central i mean pittsburgh walked it off last week at home against madison minnesota claws out this come from behind victory on the road this weekend each of these tilts between the top five teams in the central just figure to go down to the wire every game this season. Yeah, man, these indoor games are so tough because it's like, yeah, you want to say Indy has the advantage coming into these because they're so familiar with it. They've been doing this the past several years. They have this core of guys that have been with the team for so long. So like chemistry is not an issue, but then, you know, like every turnover just like everyone's efficiency gets better indoors so like even if the d-line isn't like the most uh you know polished or or established or doesn't take care of the disc that well uh indoors it's like everyone's gonna have a pretty high conversion rate defensively too and indeed did and like that was their that was a huge part of their team last year but when the the playing field is level indoors and minnesota is just doing the same thing it makes it that much more important to be able to like force those defensive turnovers. So you get even more chances. And that's something that like we've known Indy just doesn't have the same level of defensive playmaking that we've seen from Minnesota and like from Chicago and even Madison the past couple of years. So I do worry a bit about their defensive playmaking. I think they are going to have to find more ways to manufacture blocks, but you know, overall it's hard to put, so much weight on this because yeah it's like you said I, I still think it's razor thin margins between minnesota between indy and really the rest of the central so 
We'll see what happens, but an 0-2 hole is definitely not where Indy wanted to start. Yeah, I totally concur with you about the lack of defensive playmaking right now for Indy, and it just stood out so starkly in contrast with Minnesota's D-line, really led by Dylan DeClerc. I mean, he just got it going. He got a block in the opening possession of the second half, and that just sort of keyed everyone in, I think. And while, again, like Indy converted almost 70% of their offensive possessions, it was enough, and that often feels like the story at Grand Park for the Alley Cats and these tight losses to, say, Minnesota, uh, Chicago, and, uh, excuse me, Madison. Um, I want to flip over to Minnesota's offense, though, because they were super impressive in the second half once they really got rolling. In particular, Mm -hmm. the play of Colin Berry, who has long been a defensive leader for this team. He struggled on and off with injuries and health for years. He's just always one of those guys who seems like gets banged up at the wrong times. He's been so impactful when he is available for the wind chill. We've been hearing this rumor that he was going to start playing on offense. He's six foot four. He's a lefty. He's got really good disc skills and just kind of a, a sense and a rhythm. And boy, did he show that in this game. He averaged 24 yards per touch, seven scores over 400 yards of total offense. He was just a difference maker for them. And then another name that really deserves a shout out is second year player Marco Dregny who was a back-end rotation filler last year for the team, really good hustle player. He had his career night against Indy, 445 receiving yards, seven total scores, zero turnovers, and just was such a clear difference maker with his speed, being able to run away and create separation. And the Minnesota throwers, particularly Josh Klain, Abe Coffin, et cetera, were just keen on finding him they had a bunch of really nice cross field assists minnesota looks like they will be just fine on offense despite how many starting losses they suffered over the offseason it wasn't that big of a game for abe coffin indoors even though we kind of thought mm-hmm. this might be like a 600 yard abe coffin game they didn't yeah really need it could have been they had a nice spread attack they didn't really have to rely yeah. on everyone and as we were talking about before the show really like Quinn Snyder as sort of the closer. He really didn't get that involved early in the game, but man, in the fourth quarter, they just started feeding him. There was a huge, huge job in Huck, almost full field to a full extension Quinn Snyder layout as kind of an emphasis point. When that was a gutsy throw play. too. I think the game, it was like either a one goal or like it was a very, I mean, the margins was a claim were super thin at the end of that game. Yeah. It was a claim it was, ball. It was it bold. Was a, I'm a, I'm going to throw this football over that, them, their mountains kind of throw. Like, yeah, <laughs> he just kind of yeah. wound up and said, Quinn's down there somewhere. <laughs> but it works out, man. I mean, Snyder can go get. He's, he's, he's goals last year. He's one of the all-time leaders in per-game scores. And I just really like them leaning on him in a close game in those moments. You know, just going to your finisher. I feel like so yeah. many teams can get cute in scenarios like that and to just see them going to their prototypical wide receiver one again and again down the stretch. Like that's what you should be doing. It was a great blueprint, great opening week, or I should say week two win for Minnesota. It was their 2023 debut as a team, but now they are tied with Pittsburgh Thunderbirds at the top of the central really important. I think for these teams to carve out early advantages in these standings in the central too. I think momentum is going to play a huge part as we build into this for season. Sure. Just good, another close victory in the Central Division. I'm sure we'll be saying that 
many, many more times as we work <laughs> for the season. But we've got one more game that we wanted to talk about. Just wrapped up almost two hours before we started taping this show. Uh, DC and Philly, another nail-biter between these two teams. Philly they rallying back after their big loss in New York last weekend. Again, having to play DC this weekend. The top two teams in the power rankings, Philly having to start their season against just a rough, rough road. They fall behind 10-5 in this game against the Breeze, and they claw all the way back to tie it at 13s in the second half, essentially trade it out towards the end, but the Breeze outlast thanks to another amazing defensive effort. They were just blowing up reset passes. Jasper Tom, A.J. Merriman, Luke Rafis, uh, Musa John, Alexander Fall both finished with four goals apiece. The DC as the team finished with 12 takeaways. It, it was just a defensive show down the stretch for much of this game. There was some rain, but neither team's offense could really get on track. The two teams combined 18 of 49 on offensive Ugh. possessions in this game, a rough 36.7% offensive efficiency rating combined. There were 20 <laughs> total break scores in this game. Just just real wacky stuff happening when these two teams come together now. Yeah, I don't know what it is about when DC plays Philly. I feel like there was a quote earlier this offseason, maybe from Charlie Hoppus or like one of the New York coaches that they like they say they play Philly weird. I think DC plays Philly weird too. Like it's just so hard to get a sense of like where actually Philly fits in this playoff picture out east cuz obviously they have an inkling for playing DC super close when we think they have very little business doing so, but they keep proving us wrong. Uh, the DC offense, I don't know. Streaky. I don't really know what it is about Streaky. them. Are we worried? Are we worried about DC right now, offensively? If it this was the second straight week, they've just kind of been. Eh, it's so self-inflicted, though. It was almost a carbon copy of last week of Carolina, where they're just sort of farting around on reset, <laughs> right? And like turfing the but first seems... row out of a double team after they flawlessly it's uncharacteristic that set, like four other times previously in the game like it's just it's mental stuff and so I, right. I i think that they'll get over it but it is disconcerting that it's now been two straight weeks where it's like oh dc's got this one in the clear and then they just sort of bobble back in their opponent like that's kind of right really and to philly's credit they took advantage of every opportunity down the stretch. They absolutely could have checked out of that game at 10-5. I wouldn't have held it against them, especially given how they got Donnie Brook the week before against the Empire, coming out, <laughs> essentially getting it again right in the first half against the Breeze. Hats off yeah. to Philly for finding resolve. I mean, I think it really started. They're, they're fighters. Greg Martin at a layout Callahan. I mean, that dude... That dude against DC is a terminator. I would love to have an oral history of just what's it like to guard Greg Martin in these Phoenix Breeze matchups. Because they started the game by throwing some <laughs> lollipop to him in double coverage in the end zone. Just some sky ball. And of course, he elevates jumping backwards off of one foot and gets like six inches higher than the two defenders around him. I mean, the dude's just... It's what he does. Insane athlete. And and they still have that Philly fire. Like they still rally around each other. And it really goes sure. to show you how good New York last weekend, I think, did did of a job of just keeping all of Philly's energy down. Like when when Philly can ride a momentum streak of any kind, as they showed in this game, 
They're not converting mm-hmm. on offense. Everything's chaotic, but they're still competing. I like that about Philly. I, I like that streak about them. They're they've got they've got some stuff to work out still, but they're they're competing. They're here, right? Yeah, well, and you felt that at the end of the game too, because didn't DC go up like nineteen fifteen or nineteen sixteen yeah. or something? It was like okay, like this game. Like, okay, it was fun while it lasted, like the close back and forthness of like the second and third quarters. But now it's like, all right, DC will just close this out. But Philly was like, no, like they're not just going to close this out. We're going to literally play this game until the final whistle. And they brought it back within one. And honestly, like Pollard wasn't able to get off that last attempt after the block because DC wisely threw it downfield. But part of me wonders what could have happened because he obviously has full field range on his throws. Like, if he would have caught that block and then turned and shot it, I don't know. He did it last year against Montreal. He knocked down a buzzer beater and threw it 90 <laughs> right. yards to Mike Arcata into space. And so if Those I were in say, bad conditions, too. Wasn't that, that like a was, garbage condition game? Oh, that was a brutal, like, April wind Montreal kind of wet game. I think there must have been yeah. turnovers. And Pollard just lasered. Uh, disc all the way down the field. I mean, one of the most impressive throws of the season. Uh, yeah, I, Pollard is like one of three individuals who I think could do something where it's like catch the disc, <laughs> right. turn and rifle at seventy yards the opposite way. I, I think it's yeah. Like, I was I was him, hoping Jack it would Williams, happen. One other person, I don't know. <laughs> but it was yeah. it was a valiant effort from Philly. Uh, DC's now two and zero, and they get set up now for next weekend against the Empire. 2-0 DC, 2-0 New York. That is what we want. Can't wait. This is going to be the best. That'll do it for this week two recap. We might be back for another shorter episode to go over some more finer detail points, but just another great weekend in the AUDL. There will continue to be more and more coverage on the AUDL.com website as well as the AUDL. YouTube channel, as well as you can go back and rewatch all these games on the AUDL uh, streaming service website, watch.audl.tv. That'll do us, do it for us here now. We'll see you soon. Bye.